Good morning, church. Grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to this time of worship at Faith Community United Methodist. Good to be with you in worship this morning. If you would, please find the attendance pads and fill those out if you haven't already done that. Those are in each of the pews, and you can fill those out, pass them along to others that are in the pew with you so that we have a record of your presence here with us in worship this morning. We are going to be uh, receiving some new members in, uh, sometime in October, and I don't have the exact date set yet, uh, but I do know that there are some people interested in membership. So if you are interested in becoming a member of Faith Community, if you could let me know that by next Monday. Let me know by Monday, October 3rd. If you're interested in membership, uh, my email address to let me know that is in the bulletin announcement there. You can send me an email or you can call the office and let me know about that and we will get that set. Also, there's an announcement there about pledge envelopes. We're not going to be uh, ordering new pledge envelopes uh, for next year. So if you use your pledge envelopes and want some, we will get some to you, but they won't be, uh, they won't be new ones with the new dates. They'll just have the old dates crossed out. We're going to reuse our, our old ones to, to save some money. Uh, I know I, I only use mine twice a month, so I have a half a box left over at the end of the year, and I'll just cross out the dates and, and reuse those, and maybe you can do that as well. But if you need some pledge envelopes, uh, let us know, and we'll get you a, a box of recycled envelopes for next year. The other announcements are, are in the bulletin. I invite you to uh, look those over and take this home with you so that you know things that are, are coming up this week. I invite you now to be in a spirit of worship as the choir presents the music of the intro. Stand for the call to worship, please. God calls us from the valley of dry bones. Come listen for a word from our God. We hear God calling us in a far distant voice. We had nearly forgotten God's care for us. The Spirit breathes life into our dry bones. God offers hope when we have lost our way souls wait for the refreshment God offers. Our spirits are filled with great expectations. Christ came as a light to all the world. Christ comes among us today to light our way. We hear the teacher calling for us. Christ unbinds us that we may see and believe. If you would remain standing for our opening hymn, this is a day of new beginnings, which is number 383 in your United Methodist hymnal will sing verses 1 through 4.
Thank you. You may be seated. Please join me in our opening prayer printed in your bulletin. God of steadfast love, bring new life to this community of your people. We are eager to hear your voice and be filled with your spirit. Come from the four winds, O breath, and bring vitality and purpose to our gathering, that we might be energized and encouraged. Hear our voices lifted in praise and crying out from our need. Be attentive to our supplications, lest we die apart from you. Only you can unbind us and set us free. Amen. Would the children come forward, please, for the children's moment. Hey guys. So you might want to move right here so you can see. And could I ask you to hold this? Okay. So today we need to go over some vocabulary, okay? So the first word is resurrection. Do you guys know what resurrection means? That's a hard word. It means to bring back, particularly to bring back to life. And um, there are a couple times in the Bible where there was a resurrection, like when Jesus brought Lazarus back to life. Remember that? And then when Jesus died and he was resurrected, he came back. That was, yeah. That was the resurrection. Okay, so that's one word. Another vocabulary word. Optical illusion. Do you know what that is? Do you know what an optical illusion is? It's when you see something, you're almost positive you saw something, but it wasn't really there, okay? So today we're going to do an experiment. We are going to do an optical illusion. You're going to love it. So there's this very cool book. It's called Hello Red Fox by Eric Carle. It has a color wheel in it. You guys know what a color wheel is? Yeah. And the corresponding colors are opposites. All right? That's an important fact. We're not going to read the story because it's, it's not important to this. But what I want you to do is look at the heart. Do you see the dot in the middle of the heart? Can you see it? All right. Now, this is really important. You're going to listen to exactly what I say, and you're going to do exactly as I tell you, right? Okay. I don't want you to look at the heart. I want you to look at the dot in the middle of the heart. I want you to only listen to my voice and look at the dot, and I'm going to count to ten. 
still look at the dot. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Move your eyes to that page. What did you see? Oh, I see a blue heart. Yeah. Did you see anything? Yeah. Staring at the dot. I know. Now, is the blue heart there? No. No. It's an optical illusion. You want to do one more? <coughs> Dog. White still, spot. You still see the heart? Okay, close your eyes for a second. <laughs> okay, is the heart there? No. Oh, good. Okay, so find the dot. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Move your eyes. What happened? I saw the dog. You saw the dog, but what happened to the dog? It went to another color. It went to another color. You're right. So, an optical illusion. And when Jesus' disciples first saw Jesus after he, was a, he had raised from the dead, they thought he was an optical illusion. They, they thought he wasn't real. They had to touch his hands and feel his side to know he was real. So the important thing is keep your eye on Jesus. great week and if you ever want to check out this book it's probably at your school library and it's at the Green County Library. Thank you Lynn. We're going to turn now to our prayer hymn which is number 707 in the hymnals, Hymn of Promise. Let us sing together in prayer.
the Lord our God. You alone can see each of our futures, for you alone are the one that holds each of our futures in your hands. You have created us, you have designed us, you have called us to yourself. You have set us aside for your purposes in this world and beyond. We thank you, Lord, for your grace, which reaches out to us in whatever condition we find ourselves. No matter how far astray we have wandered, no matter how often we have turned from you, still you come after us. Still you offer hope and restoration. Still you offer newness of life. So let us receive that new life that you offer to us even now, that we may live into your glory, that we may rejoice in you and in your presence. Lord, we thank you because we know it is only because of your mercy poured out for us in Jesus Christ that we can ever hope to have that relationship with you. So we thank you for Jesus. We acknowledge the great sacrifice that he made for us. We acknowledge the way of life that he has laid out for us. We pray, Lord, that you will draw us ever closer to you and to that way of life to which he has called us. We pray for your mercy upon this congregation and upon each person. We pray that you will inspire us, inspire our minds and our hearts to chase after you and to reach out to others that they might know the joy of your salvation. Lord, we live only because of you. You are our life and our salvation. We thank you and we offer, you, offer ourselves to you in this time of worship and praise. And we pray to you now, offering the words that Jesus has taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We continue to worship with the giving of our tithes and offerings as the ushers wait upon us.
please join me in the prayer of dedication. Lift us up, O God, from the graves of our self-interest as we invest ourselves in sharing the good news with the world. Increase our gifts of time and treasure that all who are drained of hope might have their minds set on the Spirit. May the Spirit raise them to new life as we celebrate the resurrection Jesus promised to Lazarus and to all who trust and follow where God leads. Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the Gospel. Today's scripture lesson is taken from the book of John, chapter 11, verses 17 to 27. I am the resurrection and the life. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again, Martha. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. May be seated.
among the best opening lines in all of literature, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens has to be near the top of everyone's list. Marley was dead to begin with. That's the opening line of A Christmas Carol. Marley was dead to begin with. There is no doubt whatever about that. The austerity of it, the directness, getting straight to the point, and it's an important point to be made. A Christmas Carol is, after all, a ghost story. It's necessary to understand from the beginning that Marley, the first of the ghosts to visit Ebenezer Scrooge that night, was indeed dead. John 11 does not begin in quite such a stark and abrasive manner. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. That's not as dramatic as saying Lazarus was dead to begin with. Lazarus wasn't dead to begin with. He was ill. He was near death. But he was still holding on. There was still hope. In fact, when Jesus got word that Lazarus was ill, he responded, this illness does not lead to death. So there you have it. Jesus says he's not going to die. Funny thing, though, instead of going straight to Lazarus, Jesus decided to stay where he was two more days before heading out. By the time Jesus finally arrived in Bethany, Lazarus was, in fact, dead. Our reading for today begins, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. The fact that he had been in the tomb four days is significant. Jews at that time believed that when a person died, their spirit left the body, but it hovered around the area for three days. After three days, the spirit departed into Sheol. Sheol was kind of an otherworldly waiting room where The souls of the deceased hovered in a vague nothingness until the last day. At the end of the age, God would create a new heaven and new earth, and the spirits hovering in Sheol would then be given new bodies and new life. That was their belief in resurrection, that it was something very far off, something that would happen at the end of time as we know it. This world would be destroyed, God would create a new one, And then those departed souls would be given new life and new bodies. Until then, though, there was no real sense of life. It was rather like sitting at the doctor's office in the waiting room with no magazines to read and no phone to look at, and you just have to sit there and wait for century upon century. Not exactly what you would call abundant living. Definitely not paradise. Before going into that waiting room of Sheol, though, the spirit hovered around the dead body for three days, just in case. Prior to modern medical science, when someone died, there was always a wake, which usually lasted a few days. The reason being, there were times when a person appeared to be dead, but then after several hours, or perhaps even a day or two, they would wake back up. It didn't happen often, but on rare occasions it did, and you wouldn't want to bury someone until you knew for sure that they were really and truly dead. So you had a wake where you sat around and grieved, but also perhaps prayed and hoped that the person would wake back up. First century Jews didn't have that kind of thing exactly, but they did have a preliminary method of burial that wasn't exactly permanent. Dead bodies were anointed with spices, wrapped from head to toe, and then they were placed in a cave, which was dug in the side of a hill, 
And the cave was then blocked off with a large circular stone, which could be rolled in front of the opening to seal it off, or it could be rolled back away to reopen the tomb. You had to be able to open and close these tombs easily because, well, for one thing, they were used for the entire family. And secondly, a year after the body was placed in the tomb, someone would go in and collect the bones, which were the only things left at that point, place them in a small box. That ossuary box was the more permanent burial place where the bones awaited resurrection. Back to the four days. While it did happen from time to time that a person presumed to be dead would wake up, that never happened four days later. The Jews believed that the spirit hovered around the tomb for three days and then departed for Sheol. Why three days? Probably because nobody presumed to be dead ever woke up after having been gone that long. But probably also because by the fourth day, the process of decomposition had begun to set in. The body began to stink of death and rot. So when John tells us, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days That is his way of saying what could be put in Dickensian terms, Lazarus was as dead as a doornail. Lazarus was dead, dead. There was no question that Lazarus was dead. He had given up the ghost. His spirit had left the vicinity. There was no coming back for Lazarus, not until the day of resurrection. His sisters knew it. That's why they were so distraught. Martha and Mary, Lazarus' sisters, friends of Jesus, they were mourning because their brother was gone. There was also perhaps a bit of anger there because it didn't have to be this way. You can hear some anger in Martha's first words to Jesus. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. How often have we, in our moments of grief, said, if only. If only he had been driving a little slower. If only she hadn't gone to that party. If only he had gone to the doctor a few months earlier. If only they had planned ahead a bit more. It's natural in our grief to think of all the things that could have or should have gone differently, to want to lay blame, to try to turn back the clock. Grief-stricken as she was, there was a lot of truth in Martha's words. They had sent for Jesus in plenty of time. If he had come straight away, he could have healed Lazarus before he died. Or even if he had gotten there just after he died, Jesus could have still healed him even then. He had done so for Jairus' daughter. He had done so for the centurion's son. They knew he could do it for Lazarus too. But not after four days. After four days, it was hopeless. After four days, there was no coming back. Why hadn't Jesus come sooner? Jesus had waited two days before leaving for Bethany, because, not because he didn't care, not because he had more urgent things to do, not because he was confused about what was going to happen. He waited because this was the moment that he was going to reveal a truth about himself and about the resurrection and life that was coming into the world through him. When Jesus said confidently, this illness does not lead to death, he followed that up by saying, 
It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. You see, Jesus wasn't mixed up about Lazarus' illness. He, he wasn't mistaken when he said it wouldn't lead to death. It, it's not like he got to Bethany four days later and found out Lazarus had died and said, wow, I really didn't think it was that bad. No, Jesus knew it was that bad. He knew what was going to happen, and he knew that Lazarus' death was not the end of the story. In fact, Lazarus' death had to occur in order for the real story to begin. John really could have begun his account, Lazarus was dead, to begin with. Because that really is the beginning of the story. But this is no ghost story. Lazarus' spirit was not going to come haunt someone and warn them about what is to come. Remember, Lazarus' spirit was long gone. That, that's part of the point. His spirit had departed to Sheol and could not come again until the resurrection. Everybody already knew that much. E even Martha, in the grips of her despair, when Jesus told her, your brother will rise again, Martha answered, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. They already knew that much. What they didn't yet know is what Jesus was about to reveal in his next statement. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus Christ, in his very being, in his presence, through his work, Jesus was bringing resurrection into the present. That is what Martha and Mary did not know yet. It's what no Jewish person could have imagined prior to Jesus coming. Resurrection was something that would happen in the far distant future at the end of time. But here was Jesus standing in their presence saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Obviously, Jesus did not mean that in a literal, physical sense. Everyone dies in this world, no matter how strong your faith is. Just because you believe in Jesus doesn't mean you can escape physical death. At some point, your body's going to wear out. Breath will stop entering your lungs. Blood will cease to circulate through your veins. Death is an inescapable reality. And yet, Jesus says, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Never die. What does he mean by that? What he means by that is that he was bringing God's future into the present. He was bringing eternity into the here and now. No longer would a person who died in faith have to wait around in a shadowy nothingness for centuries or eons before they could experience life once again. Because of who Jesus was and what he was doing, Jesus made eternal life an immediate reality. Not something that we must hope for, long for, pray for, wait for, but something that can be experienced now. A clear example of this is the thief on the cross. You remember as Jesus hung on the cross, there were two other men hanging next to him, one on either side. One of the men mocked 
derided Jesus, saying if he was the Messiah, he should save himself and them. The other one took up for Jesus. He said that they, the two thieves, they were getting what they deserved. But Jesus was completely innocent. Then he turned to Jesus and pled with him, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He believed Jesus was the Messiah. And as such, he knew that Jesus would be the ruler over God's newly established kingdom. That's quite a confession to make, given that Jesus was hanging there dying, same as the thief. How would this kingdom come about? When would this kingdom come about? The thief had no answers to these questions. But he didn't need to answer these questions because he knew that it would. And that was enough. He knew that God would triumph. He knew that good would prevail. He knew that when that happened, Jesus, this man who hung, dying next to him, Jesus would be the head over all. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And you know Jesus' response. I tell you truly, this day you will be with me in paradise. This day, you will be with me in paradise. He didn't say, this day you will be with me in Sheol. He didn't say, Some, sometime far, far off when the final resurrection comes, then you will be with me in paradise. He said, this day you will be with me in paradise. What that means is that Sheol is no more. Because Jesus is the resurrection. Come into the present, and he is life. The body may still die. The body will die. But for those who believe in Jesus, the Spirit lives on, and it doesn't just live on in some lingering, long-suffering way as it awaits the new life that will be given in the final resurrection. No, those who are in Christ live in abundance of life, in joyful life, in paradise. Whoever believes in him, even though they die, yet shall they live. And whoever lives and believes in him shall never die. That doesn't mean that a disembodied heaven is our final state forever. The Bible does point to a final resurrection when God will establish a new heaven and a new earth and the faithful will be given resurrection bodies to live in that new creation. That is the final hope to which all of Scripture points, both Old and New Testaments. The Jews, even before the time of Jesus, understood that promise. What they didn't understand, what, what no one understood before Jesus said it, was that because of who Christ is and what Christ did, eternal life has been brought into the present. When Jesus was raised from the grave, when he defeated death once and for all on the cross, he brought eternal life with him. Abundant life, joyful life is present now in Jesus Christ and is available now to all who believe. There is still a final resurrection to look forward to, a bodily resurrection that will come at the time of the new creation. We still wait and hope for the fulfillment of that promise. But because of the resurrection of Jesus and the life offered in him to all who believe, 
the waiting is joyful and vibrant. Abundant life is now and unending. What Jesus did when he raised Lazarus from the grave, that was simply a sign pointing to this much deeper reality. When Jesus called Lazarus out of the grave, and Lazarus was unwrapped and found to be alive again, he had not yet received the resurrection body. He was still a mortal human being who would eventually die again. However, what Jesus did in raising Lazarus was more than simply a resuscitation. Lazarus' spirit had already departed. His body had already begun to decompose. And then Jesus called out to Lazarus and gave him new life. Not the eternal life of resurrection, but new life just the same. This was not something that the most skilled doctor or even the greatest miracle worker could do. This, bringing life out of death, this was something that only God could do. Jesus was revealing in a direct and a powerful way that he has the power of life within him. Indeed, that he is the power of life himself. I am the resurrection and the life, he said. Lazarus was dead to begin with. Now he was alive. We are, all of us, dead to begin with. That is the reality of sin in this fallen world into which we are born. We are born into death. Death is our starting point. But thank God it is not our ending point because Jesus is resurrection. Jesus is life. In Jesus there is no more death. Jesus brings life out of death. Jesus answered, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Thanks be to God for the resurrection and the life found only in Jesus. Amen. I invite you to stand as you are able for our closing hymn, which is number 261 in the hymnals, Lord of the Dance, let us sing together.
I invite you to be seated and please remain in your seats until the choir has recessed out and then you be dismissed. Go in the name of God and of his son, Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection and the life. And go empowered by the Holy Spirit to live in his grace. Amen. Thank you. 